morning. Um, if you have a Bible with you, you can open up to Romans chapter 8. We're going to be uh, still in this incredible uh, chapter of Romans. It's hard to leave this chapter, honestly, and um, there's, there's just so much richness, richness there for us to, to dwell in. Um, before we dive into Scripture this morning, though, I, I, in light of tomorrow uh, being Veterans Day, I did just want to take a moment and, and honor and recognize any of our uh, veterans and, and veterans' families uh, for our military who, who might be in attendance this morning. So if you're a veteran or a veteran family or both, uh, if you would just please stand so we can honor you. I want to pray for you as well while you stand. So any veterans or veteran families, if y'all would please stand. Let's give them a round of applause, please. And let me, you guys remain standing. Let me pray for you guys real quick. Father, I just, I want to take just a moment and commit these men and women and families to you. And Lord, I, I thank you for uh, their selfless sacrifice and selfless service that many, many times goes unnoticed and unseen and yet provides us the opportunity to do what we're doing right now, freely gather together and worship in your name. And Lord, whether they have served uh, years ago, or they're serving right now, or their family member is serving right now. Lord, for the families that aren't even together right now, because we have uh, some of our loved ones in the field as we speak. Um, Lord, we, we just pray your blessings over each individual, over each family. Um, I pray your protection over them, especially the ones that are still in, in active service that might be uh, serving even as we are here this morning praying, um, I pray for the families. I, I pray especially for uh, children, Lord, that you would lift them and encourage them, and, and wives and husbands that are uh, back here, that you would encourage them by your Spirit. And Lord, we know that none of uh, our veterans operate on their own power, just like Dirk was talking about this morning, but they operate on your power and on your Holy Spirit's presence. And I pray that whether they are serving or whether they are the family uh, of those who are serving, that they would continue to live in the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. Thank you again for the blessings of these uh, that we have so many of here. And uh, I, I'm just forever in, in debt to them and their service. Um, we, couldn't, we couldn't be here gathering freely without, without them. And, and thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for providing them and, and their service to this church as well. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you guys very, very much. This morning we, we are going to be covering, uh, like I said, we're going to be starting in verse 12 and we're going to be covering verses 12, 13, and 14 of Romans chapter 8. And the focus of this text is the believer's responsibility to, to wage war on sin in the power and through the power of the Holy Spirit. I mentioned this last week, um, but in chapter 8, depending on which translation you're using, the Holy Spirit or the Spirit is referenced 17, 18, 19 times, depending on which, which version. Either way, that's a, a lot of times for the Holy Spirit to be mentioned in one chapter of the Bible, and so that tells me a couple things. One, this, this chapter is undoubtedly about the Holy Spirit. It's about a lot of other things, but that's a focal, focal point. 
But secondly, that when we talk about the Holy Spirit, that this chapter has a lot of power and a lot of uh, just hope and a lot of encouragement because of the focus of the Holy Spirit. And so we've talked about these, these, these promises of hope and encouragement and power these last few weeks in this incredible chapter, uh, chapter 8. Um, and I've gave you several quotes about chapter 8 from people far smarter than me, but one that I really like is from Bible scholar N.T. Wright, and he says about this chapter, he said, is it a, a veritable feast of Pauline themes that carries the power of the gospel in every breath? I love that, the power of the gospel in every breath. And then listen to what he says here, and this is for us. If the church would hoist its sails and catch the wind of Romans 8, there's no telling what might happen. And so that would be my challenge to you guys this morning. If, if we would just hoist ourselves up just a little bit and catch the, the proverbial wind or the move it, movement of the Holy Spirit and allow Him and His presence to propel us forward in our spiritual walks with Him this morning. That's what my goal is. So let's go ahead and dive into the Scripture. Uh, like I said, we're just going to cover a couple verses. So not a lot of verses, but a lot of depth. So starting in, in, in verse 12, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. We start with that first verse there. It says, so then, brothers. I want to, let's just stop right there. These are a couple of important words the, the so then might be better translated, and some of your translations might have because of. And this is a, a reference back to all of Romans 8, but specifically Romans 8.1, which we talked about. You, we could preach sermon after sermon, Bible study after Bible study on Romans 8.1 over and over and over. It's, it's, it's powerful. It's, if you want to have a life verse and you don't have a verse, I would recommend Romans 8.1. Uh, it's just, it's there, therefore, is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So because of that, because of, so then is what Paul's saying. Because of that, then we, he says, brothers, we are, not, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. And that term brothers is obviously the same way we would use it. He's saying he is speaking to believers in Jesus. He is saying that I'm on the equal playing field with you. I'm not talking down to you. I'm not talking above you. I'm not talking below you. Brothers, that's what brothers are, right? And he's saying, hey, I'm in this fight with you. We are believers in Jesus. And because of that, because of what we've already talked about in Romans 8, there is no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus that we now, because of the cross, have victory over sin and over death because of the cross and Jesus' sacrifice. And so what Paul is saying here is to these believers in Rome and all believers is that we're not obligated to the flesh anymore. We're no longer uh, tied and bound to the flesh. We are no longer in bondage and slavery to the flesh. And it's very important that we understand that. And that's, so if you take Romans 8, 12, and you put it right beside Romans 8, 1, they're virtually saying the same thing. And it's, it's neat how you can take several verses in Romans 8 and kind of just isolate them and compare them. They're like, wow, that's a, it's saying the same truth, but in a different way with probably haven't noticed, and you 
many of you have, but if you haven't, I love to uh, quote or, or reference uh, people that are far smarter than me. I think I, I draw great benefit from learning from others. Um, that's one reason that I'm not the only one that's always preaching here. I love learning from uh, our other elders that are teaching, preaching. Um, I love hearing from uh, men and women like men this morning, Dirk getting up and speaking about what God's done in his life. I think we all benefit from learning from what God is doing in each other's lives and what God has shown and revealed through and to other men and women. And, and uh, that's one reason why I do a lot of quoting of people or, or using their research or, or using things that God's revealed to them. Because I think it helps me and it helps uh, me to learn. And I would encourage you to do the same. Don't, don't get fixated on, on one pastor or one church, but use Read various authors that are solid and read and listen to various sermons. That way you're not getting one, uh, one tunnel vision view of, of what one man or, or one woman might have for, to, to say to you. But one of the, one of the guys that I, I hold in high regard um, is uh, J.D. Greer, uh, Pastor J.D. Greer at the Summit Church. Uh, if you're familiar with Summit, Summit has, I think, 11 or 12 different campuses all across the Raleigh-Durham area. Uh, matter of fact, one of our own elders, Trevor Brady, was able to attend uh, church there at one of their campuses, uh, I believe it was last week, and he was able to join his uh, son and daughter-in-law at their church. And, but I, I love, if, you have, if you're ever in Raleigh-Durham and, and you're looking for a place, go to one of their campuses, awesome church. But um, I love the way J.D. preaches and the way he explains Scripture, and I wanted to share with you the way he summarized uh, 12, 13, 14 here because I think it makes a lot of sense, and he says it in a way that I can't say it. And read this closely here. He says that Jesus' death releases you from the penalty of sin. His resurrection releases you from the power of sin. So Jesus' death releases you from the penalty of sin. His resurrection releases you from the power of sin. And then he says you are released from the penalty of sin by his blood. And you're released by the power of sin by his spirit. You're released from the penalty of sin by his blood. There is no penalty. And you're released by the power of sin. There's the bondage Paul's talking about by his spirit. So all this stuff has to go, to go together. There's death and resurrection. There's penalty and power of sin. And then you've got the blood and, and the spirit. All this working together. And I love the way he, he summarizes that there because it, and I have to read both of those statements a couple times to let them sink in. But it, that is exactly what Paul is saying here is there's a lot of different moving parts here that are working together to let us see the, the hope and the freedom we have in the Holy Spirit and that we are no longer bound to the flesh. We're no longer in bondage or in slavery to sin. You go to that next verse, verse 13, and I want you to notice the very first part. Let's look first at the very first part of verse 13. Number one, Paul is not talking about a person losing their salvation if they were to fall into sin. Verse 13 says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. So he's not saying there, if you as a believer in Jesus, if you happen to have sin creep in your life, which by the way is all of us, then you will die. That death is talking about a second death, an eternal death. That's not what he's talking about at all there, okay? Remember, he said in verse 1, if you're in Christ Jesus, there is therefore no condemnation. So he wouldn't come out in verse 13 and say something that contradicts verse 1. So we've got to understand that, first of all. But what he is instead referencing 
is people whose lives are characterized by the flesh. Regardless of, they may call themselves a Christian. They may call themselves a a Baptist or a Presbyterian or they may call themselves Catholic or whatever they call themselves. That's whatever. That's a whole separate side topic. But Paul's saying those people that live in such a way that there is no desire for the things of God, there is no desire to repent of their sins, there is no demonstration of fruit of the Spirit in their lives, there's no conviction over sin. I alluded to this, this kind of thing last week. You can call yourself whatever you want. You can go to whatever church. You can be as faithful as whatever. But if those things don't exist, then this is who Paul's talking about. You're living according to the flesh. You may show up at church. You may call yourself a Christian. But if you're living according to the flesh and there's none of those things in your life, then what he says is you will die. He's talking about eternal second death being separated from Christ forever. Very, very important distinguished Distinguishing fact that he's not speaking there to those who are in Christ who happen to fall into sin and they're battling sin and they're repenting of sin and, and you can see the, the, the brokenness and, the, and the, the grief over sin. That's not who he's talking about. But the second thing to notice in, is in the second part after that comma uh, in verse 13. And this is where he says to those who are believers in Jesus must put to death the deeds of the body the deeds of the flesh, through and by the power of the Spirit. So so Paul here is actively, or what he's saying is explicitly saying, is that we must be actively putting to death sin on a daily, moment-to-moment, week-to-week, month-to-month, whatever you want to call it, on on that kind of basis that it has to be an ongoing process where we are killing sin through and by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, you've heard this quote probably from different people, and you read it from, I don't, I don't know who originally said it. Um, I know John Owen's one that's been credited for saying it. I've heard, I've heard it credited to other people. It doesn't really matter who said it, but it's very true. Is, the quote is, you must always be killing sin, or it will be killing you. It's, it's kind of that idea, it's be kill, kill or be killed. And, and we, we think about that in terms of, like, warfare, well, this is what this is. This is spiritual warfare. So you either kill or you will be killed. And we're talking spiritually. So you either kill sin or sin will kill you. So you're either actively killing sin or sin is actively creeping into you, slowly but surely killing you. Uh, John Owen, who, like I said, is one of the ones credited for saying that, he was a, a Puritan. And he had another quote, which I, I love, when he talks about how sin works in our lives. And it's simple, but it's true. This is what he said. He said, sin is never less quiet than when it, than when it seems to be most quiet. And its waters are, for the most part, deep when they are still. I alluded to that, that saying a few weeks ago, you know, still waters run deep. And I think, if you think about that in your life, when you think you've got a hold on your sin, you think you are walking and, and you're living a victorious life, and sin seems to be so far in the background, that's what he's saying. That's when sin is at your door. And he says, and when, the, when everything seems still and everything seems calm, that's when usually sin is at its deepest. And so we need to remember this, that sin is a, is a paramount predator. It's always looking for ways to destroy you, especially, especially, 
in moments when you think that evil seems to be the most quiet. I mean, Peter stated this truth, right, about Satan, and Satan uses whatever schemes he can to trip us, but this is how Peter described our adversary, uh, Satan, in, in, in 1 Peter 5 eight. This is one to remember. Peter says to be sober-minded, be watchful. Why? Your adversary, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's the way sin works. We talked about in Genesis where it says sin is crouching at the door. There are so many analogies used with lions and, 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 and sitting at the door and it's, it's just around the corner and it's coming for you. This is not some kind of like trick you, scare you, Halloween haunted house type stuff. This is like legit sin's coming for you constantly. That's why Peter says be sober-minded, be awake, be watchful because if you're not, the lion takes you down. Sin takes you down, seeking someone to devour. Author and speaker uh, Paul Tripp, he said, and he said this in many of his conferences and sermons, different things, he says that he believes, and I think he's he's right, that, that one of the primary reasons Christians and specifically Christian leaders fall is because they forget the power of indwelling sin. And if you think about Man, I don't know, even the last 10 years. And you can go back 20, 30, 40 years, whatever. But just think about in the last 10 years, the people that you know from a, from a national, international standpoint, maybe, maybe locally, but I'm thinking more of big scale, uh, really well-respected men and women that were great authors, pastors, teachers, conference leaders, just incredible people that have fallen just completely off the cliff for one reason or another. And I think many, many times that Paul Tripp's right is they forget the power of indwelling sin. See, there's never a place in your spiritual life or there's never a, a, a maturity level you reach where you can say, you know what? Sin's no longer coming for me. Like, I can't preach enough sermons where I reach that level, well, I've got sin down here, and I'm here, so I'm safe. And, or if I'm, if I'm one of these you know, national, international leaders, and I've, I've reached this level where, do you, ha- you have any idea how many conferences I've preached? I've had hundreds of thousands of people. I've reached that level. Sin's not coming for me anymore. See, that doesn't happen. And see, I think sometimes we forget that. And we forget that on a small level because we've been walking with the Lord for a while, right? And things have, have gone relatively well. We've struggled with sin at times, but we've had highs and lows. We've been walking for the Lord for a while and saying, well, you know what? There's no way that I can fall into fill in the blank. Because, you know, I've, I've, I've already went through that. And, I've, and God's released me from that. And God's shown me and, and provided for me from that. And that's the very, very moment, going back to what John Owen said, that's the very moment when sin is crouching at your door. When you feel the safest, when you feel the most secure, that's when the, the roaring line of our adversary is there. So don't ever be fooled into the place of, wow, I've been walking with the Lord for 15 years. There's no way I'm going to fall into this sin. And I think we've got to be careful about thinking that there's, a, there's, there's some level we can reach where we are uh, kind of off limits to sin. There's nobody off limits to sin. The only, only time that happens is when we reach heaven. There is no sin, and then we're off limits to sin. This past um, Tuesday, I had the opportunity to take off work, which is always good, 
and uh, spent, I took the day off to be a chaperone for my daughter's uh, first grade, the entire first grade at Deep River Elementary. We're going to the uh, field trip of, to the Aloha Safari Zoo. A lot of y'all been there. And um, so I took off work, and we went. And if you've never been, let me just tell you, you, you should go. It's definitely worth it. It's definitely close. It's definitely worth the price of admission. It's, it's, it's awesome. But um, dur- during the field trip, we, uh, we had one of these areas, and we walked around uh, with individual classes. So it was just Merrill's class, like maybe, I don't know, 19, 20 students, and then the teachers, teacher's assistants, and then the other parents that were there, chaperones. And, and we stopped this one place there. They have like this little kind of little seated section. They have little benches there, and the kids all sat down, the adults sat down, and then they would bring out the... Uh, the zoo staff would come out with different animals, right? Like the smaller type animals, not the larger ones. And they, and they have them all there. They have, it's just incredible what they have there. You wouldn't think that a place uh, in Cameron, North Carolina, would have uh, these things. But anyway, they would come out, and uh, as they came out, they would uh, talk about that individual animal. They would, you know, share their characteristics. They would tell about their eating patterns or sleeping patterns or you know, they have names for all their animals, and they tell you about how they got that name. And it was, I mean, it was interesting. I was just, like, enthralled by it. I'm like, this is amazing. I didn't know any of this stuff. And um, the other thing they did is at the end of that session, because we kind of just kept moving from station to station, before we left, they, they did what is always one of the most entertaining things for me when I'm on a field trip with, with kids. And, and that's when they ask, does anybody have any questions? I'm like, yes, I love this. Because first graders uh, always have questions, and the questions are, are, are just awesome. Uh, and so there was, some, there was some great ones asked, and I, I should have recorded it. It's just, it's just pure, brilliant entertainment. But anyway, one of the, one of the kids asked uh, actually a good, relevant uh, question. One I thought, hey, that's a pretty good question. He said, hey, when we get done, can we come by? Can we touch those animals? Can we pet those animals? And I'm like, well, that's a good question because they look like they – they look like they would be, be fun to pet, and I thought that he would get a favorable response. Unfortunately, he did not. Um, the zoo staff, they explained in a very kind manner that there were laws and policies in place in regards to these specific animals that prohibited them being uh, touched, petted, held, whatever, by uh, untrained staff, uh, untrained people. In other words, they had to be trained staff members to be able to hold these animals. And uh, they explained that they were there, these policies were in place to protect people, protect kids, uh, because these animals could actually be pretty dangerous. Uh, and they could, they could cause great injury. They could, in some cases, could even cause death, especially to smaller kids or people not trained to handle them. And so, now you may be thinking, what kind of animals are y'all looking at? And it's like these, these Bengal tigers, which they have there. They have amazing, these huge Bengal tigers. And that's not what we saw those, but that's not what was out there. Uh, they had these grizzly bears. That's not, that was, they're huge and they're amazing. That's not what they had out there. No, the animals they were showing us, and I actually took these pictures from their uh, website, were a couple of these two guys. One was this little chimpanzee monkey. They have a name for it. I don't know the name. It's some word I can't pronounce. Um, but he was a, a little baby, and he... In that picture, he looks huge, but he's about, like, this, this big, okay? And so you could, like, literally hold him in your hand. And then the other guy to the, the right, I believe his name is, is Smokey, and he is a, uh, a Russian Arctic fox.
fox, which I did not know existed. Um, but these are the actual two animals uh, from their website. And so if you, you look at these two animals, they had a couple others, similar sizes, uh, different things. But if you, if you look at these two animals and you, you saw the way they interacted with the staff members, you think they look pretty cute, pretty cuddly, very, why can't we pet them? That's a great question. Why can't we hold them? Maybe, maybe I can ask my mom or dad to look into maybe getting me a monkey or a Russian Arctic fox as a pet or whatever. And, and it turns out, after listening to the zoo staff, that Nothing could be further from the truth. Um, the, the zoo staff described, number one, uh, these animals have defense mechanisms, just like we do, right? Okay? And when they feel scared, they feel threatened, they're going to go into that fight-or-flight mode, just like we do, and they've got some very, very sharp teeth. You can see a little bit of Smokey's teeth there. They've got some very sharp claws, and they also talked about their incredible strength despite their small stature. And so... Quickly, the, the young man that asked the question, which I was on board with, like, let's go pet these animals, um, he and I and everybody's like, oh, yeah, no, nah, we're going to pass on that. We're not going to touch those guys. Uh, they, so they, they would stand back, and as the class was leaving, we got to walk by them, but not in, in touching distance. And, and we realized that we were maybe not as safe as we thought we were, and these animals weren't as cute and cuddly and safe as we thought they were. And let me just tell you, as I was sitting there, it reminded me when they started describing these, these animals and, and, and what they can do to their prey or what they can do when they are, are in, in their fight-or-flight mode, it reminded me so much of sin, the way sin works in our lives. See, oftentimes we look at sin and temptation as, wow, that, that can't be that bad. This monkey is literally this big, and it's, it's cute, and it's cuddly, and I've never, I've never held a monkey before, and I've, I've never touched a Russian Arctic fox, so this would be... This would be good, and I mean, it, it can't hurt anybody. I mean, what does that sound like? It sounds like I'm talking about sin, and I'm talking about temptation, where, I mean, the only person that could possibly hurt would be me. I mean, if I'm holding the monkey, and he does get upset, all he can do is just maybe, you know, scratch me, so it's only going to hurt me, which, by the way, is, is not true with the animals, and is definitely not true with sin. And, and, and guess what, though? Just like with, with these animals, sin is going to always do what sin does, and it's going to eventually cause utter destruction and unspeakable devastation. Just like with these animals, sooner or later, they're going to do what wild animals do. And they're going to operate on their instincts. And they were telling them stories where someone's eye gets clawed out or someone's finger gets bitten off or, or whatever. Not at, that's not happened at Aloha Zoo, but, but at, 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 in other instances. And I'm thinking, What? I could lose my finger? I could, my eye? Are you serious? I'm thinking, I don't want to get near. Like, I don't care how cute these little animals are. I don't want to get near them. And it totally changed my perspective on, on me interacting with them. And I was thinking about that when we, talk, when we think about sin and the way we interact with sin. If we would think about how the damages could come from that, you wouldn't think so highly of, oh, I couldn't be that bad. Doing this, being with them. Being in this scenario, listening to this, watching this, can't be that bad. I mean, I mean, it's only going to hurt me if it hurts anybody. I can handle it. It can't. I want you to understand, we can't and it can't. I want you to understand that sin is not only a master destroyer, but sin is also a master deceiver. And so when I looked at those animals, it was deceiving because they looked fun. They looked like, you know, a cat or dog that we may have at home. 
They don't operate like a cat or dog. And I think a lot of times that's the way sin is. It deceives us and then it destroys us. And that's exactly what Paul was saying here in verse 13 to the believers is you must make war on sin and put to death the deeds of the flesh. And then Paul tells us exactly how to do that. And he says to put to death the deeds of the body, what does he say? By the Spirit of God. By the Spirit of God. We've got to remember, and it goes, I had no idea that Dirk was going to talk about those things this morning, but it goes so well with what Dirk talked about, that we never control anything. And once we learn that, it is exactly what Dirk described. It is liberating and it is freedom. Like, you don't describe, you don't d- define and, and identify and control your career. You don't control your uh, relation. You think you do, but when you realize you don't, it is... It's eye-opening. It's just like Dirk explained this morning. And we've got to remember that, just like in those examples that he mentioned, that sin also will never be defeated because we're strong enough or our willpower is strong enough or good enough to beat sin because we'll lose every single time. Y'all may have heard the, the, the infamous whatever Matt Chandler quote. He says, fighting sin without the Spirit is like open hand slapping a bear. It is not going to go well for you. And so when we go into battle with sin, and we do so apart from the Spirit, thinking we have control, that's a good example. Walk up to a grizzly bear, open slap the bear. I'm going to win this war. Yeah, you're done in about five seconds. And it's just like Chandler said, it's not going, it's not going to go well for you. And so I'm reminded, what Paul says here, is that you, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And he says to do that, though, by the Spirit. So if we just press pause here for just a second, we've looked at two things. Got two really important truths. If you're taking anything home with you, take this. Number one, believers must wage war on sin. Um, I've referenced this before, but the, the camp that we've, uh, I've been involved with when I was a youth pastor, uh, a, a ministry we still support as a church now, uh, Snowbird Wilderness Outfielders, they, they, they literally were the first people in my life that actually had that, that saying of make war wage war on sin. I never thought about it like that, but that's exactly what this is talking about. So number one, believers must wage war on sin. And number two is that that war against sin must be fought through and by and in the power of the Holy Spirit, unless you want to get destroyed. You want to walk up to a grizzly bear and open hand slap him. He's going to destroy you. So we have to wage war and we have to wage war in the Spirit, which leads us to the very last kind of point or question that I want to examine from this text. And that is how. Anytime I have a discussion with anybody about anything, whether it's at work or here at the church or just at home with family, and somebody's got an idea or we could do this, we could do that, my first question is, how? That sounds great, but how do we do that? And, I, and I, I'm really critical, and I'm bad about this. When I read Christian books and they're really good authors and I hear really good sermons and they're awesome, and I get done and everything sounds so good and, and I'm, I'm left with the question of, how? That sounds great. How? And I always wrestle with that. I'm like, yeah, that, that's a great idea, but how do we do that? What does that look like? And, and I think that's, this, this is where it left me when I read this passage, is how do we fight sin through the power of the Holy Spirit? We know we're supposed to. We know we're supposed to wage war. We know we're supposed to fight in the Spirit, but how? And so I thought this morning I would close with just giving you some practical ways, very simple ways that you can fight sin through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
I want to answer the question for you, how? I think so many times I've finished reading books and finished listening to sermons, and I'm so on board with them, and I have no idea of how to do it. I'm like, I don't, where do I start? Like, how do I reach that level? Because I'm here, you're there, I can't get there, how do I do it? There's a lot of ways you can do it, actually. I'm not going to have time to get into all of them, but I wanted to boil it down to just really three simple, simple things that we can do. Three things that most of us in this room already know in our minds, but we're not practicing in our hearts or in our lives. And instead of just giving these to you this morning, I thought the best way to highlight these would be to do something a little bit different, and that is to give you um, a brief um, inside look at a connect group in our church. Um, if, you don't, if you're not familiar with connect groups, if you're new here or maybe you've been attending, you've heard about them. Connect groups are just small groups of people uh, that come together to uh, get together during the week, usually at someone's home, uh, and to read scripture. Maybe they're going through a book or a Bible study, different things, but whatever it might be. Is to, to gather together for encouragement, to pray together, uh, to be challenged, uh, to be in community and fellowship, uh, for, for discipleship to occur, for meaningful relationships to occur. There's a, there's a whole gamut of things that happen in those groups. And that's why we believe them to be so, so important. And so one of the things we highlight, and we talk about a lot, it's on our website, this comes, this graphics from our website actually, um, is connect groups. Now, let me just give a real quick disclaimer here that um, nobody in, in my connect group uh, that I attend, that my wife Jamie and I attend, had any idea I was planning to talk about this this morning. I didn't even have an idea until really, really late in the week. Um, we, have a, we have a saying that's kind of unofficially um, kind of known throughout the church is what happens in connect group stays in connect group, which is safe, right? Like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. The idea behind that, though, is not so you can go out and do crazy stuff like Vegas, but so that it can be a safe environment for you to, you know, share things that are personal, to, to pray over things that are personal, and, and, and know and trust that those things are not going to be taken out of the group and, and they're going to lead off your conversation uh, as the next gossip line as you talk to oh, guess what I heard in group this week? You're not going to believe what they're struggling with. It is crazy. Like, this is going to blow your mind. Like, that's not, what, that, that's just not what this is about. And so, really, what happens in connect group stays in connect group. And I'm kind of violating that policy today, but, but only in general terms, not in specific people terms. So I wanted to, to mention that. I think that policy is important in all of our groups. But um, our connect group meets at uh, Michael and Misty Mashburn's home and. uh Jamie and I have only been attending that group for a couple years now, and uh, we've been, had the privilege of being a part of a lot of good groups and a lot of good leaders, and it's just incredible to be able to meet with other believers, some people that I've known for a long time, and get to know them better. Like, oh, I didn't even know you. I didn't know that was in like, mm. and it's just interesting things, but also know how to pray about the things that are going on in someone's life on a daily basis. Like, we all see each other maybe weekly, but... Honestly, if I don't see you one-on-one or in a connect group, I don't know what's going on with you, like, daily. Like, how can I be praying for you daily? So that's why sometimes I'll shoot you a text message or I'll shoot you an email. Hey, is there any way I'd be praying about for you specifically? Is there anything going on right now? Because if I don't see you and don't know you, like, in, in, in that context, like I, like I do my connect group, it, it's hard. It's hard for even me to know those things. And uh, so 
this, this past uh, week, um, we were in our group, and what our group does, and I don't know how other groups are operating right now, I know there's a lot of different ways and things to do it, but what we usually do is we start out our group by just um, sharing prayer requests, things that are going on personally in our lives, and just saying, hey, I really need some prayer for, for this. We've got this coming up, it might be a job thing, it might be personal sickness, it might be, you know, a relationship issue, uh, and it might be not related to me, it might be related to some, something else, but uh, we just kind of share a prayer request, and I know a lot of groups are doing this, which I think is wise, and I don't remember who started it, but whoever did, y'all are awesome, it wasn't my idea, but it's a great one, is to, to write these things down on an index card, and then we, we write them down, and then I, I and the group members keep that card somewhere uh, with you during the week, so you remember, oh, for so-and-so, I want to be praying for this this week. And, oh, so-and-so, they got that doctor appointment on, on Thursday this week or, or whatever it might be. And it's a good reminder to, to be praying specifically for those people. And so if your group's doing that, please keep doing that. I think it's awesome. Um, I love that idea. It's not something I would have ever thought of that would make sense, but it, it really does work. But um, so we got done sharing our, our, our prayer requests this past week, and uh, we had a brief time of prayer. And then we usually spend the remaining... Uh, group time, just what we do in our group is we, we discuss the scripture from the previous week's sermon. So we were going to go, you know, we've been looking at Romans 8 for a couple weeks now, and we were going to go dive back into Romans 8. Uh, but this past week, we didn't do that. Uh, we did something a little different, and we did something that was definitely needed in my life, and it was definitely needed in the lives, I'm sure, in the other group members' lives as well. Um, we got done praying and sharing, and, and Michael explained to us that he wanted to do something different before we discussed the scripture for the sermon, and he, he explained that he had been feeling led to do this for some time, and I undoubtedly know that he was being led by the Spirit to do that, and uh, for whatever reason, um, he, he chose this past week, uh, the group meeting, to, to engage uh, each member of the group with two very, very simple questions. And he asked each group member individually, number one, have you spent any time reading or studying the Bible in the last week outside of the sermon time at church, outside of your connect group time, outside of your ladies, men's Bible study time? We're not talking about organized structure stuff. Don't count that. Have you spent any personal time reading the Word? And we went around the room. Everybody answered. Michael himself answered his own question. And then Michael said, I got one more question for you. Um, outside of your regular routine of prayer, you know, praying before meals, uh, praying at bedtime, whatever those regular kind of routines are, have you spent any meaningful time in prayer in the last week? And he wasn't asking this rhetorically, by the way. And he would say, whoever's sitting beside me, how about you? What was your prayer life? What was your prayer life like this week? They'd get finished answering the next person. We went around the room and, and each person in the group answered the questions, and, including Michael himself. And upon hearing that the large majority of the group members, including the guy standing on this stage, could not honestly answer yes to both or to either question? Michael said that he thought that um, 
we all might be struggling in those areas. And then he took time to verbally, out loud, reflect back on the way we opened the meeting, which was prayer request. We were sharing personal challenges, struggles, whatever it might be. And, and Michael basically came to a very accurate conclusion that he shared with the group. He said more or less that we're all in here struggling with the same things. The circumstances may be a little bit different. Kids, parenting, marriages, jobs. Different. The circumstances are a little different, obviously. But more or less, it's all the same thing. And with that being the case, and there being an obvious need for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, why had we not spent more time, or any time in some cases, in the Word and in prayer? And, and, and let me make this very clear. Michael was not asking this question to, to cast guilt on the group. He was asking this question to himself, to each group member, to demonstrate our reliance, or really our lack of reliance, on the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I, I sat there in the Mashburn's living room and I uh, was just thinking about my own life and my own sin and my own shortcomings and my own lack of prayer, my own lack of time in the Word. And the Holy Spirit convicted me, challenged me more than I can describe to you this morning. I, I don't know what the Holy Spirit did for everybody in that room. Some people might have like, well, Michael has no business getting in my business like that. I don't, know. I don't know. I don't know how everybody else responded, but I know how I responded, what the Holy Spirit did to me, and it was, it was crushing. And if, if there was somebody, anybody, sitting in that room that should have definitely been able to answer the questions, yes, I have, 100%, that should have been me. But it wasn't. And I couldn't. And honestly, it wasn't even really close. So back to my original question. How do we fight sin through the power of the Holy Spirit? Three simple yet profound, profoundly powerful ways we do that. And the first two are exactly what Michael asked our group. Are you reading? Are you studying your Bible? I'm not talking about church. I'm not talking about connect group. I'm not talking about Bible study times here at the church. Please attend those things. Those things are all great. But if there's no personal time, then that would, you would answer no to number one, okay? And then number two, do you have a consistent and meaningful prayer life? And how does that look? And the third way in which we fight sin came in the context of which I just shared with you. In my life, in my example, it was because I was engaged in community with a group of believers where someone was willing to ask some hard questions that might make somebody uncomfortable. And it probably did. Heck, it made me uncomfortable. And I'm like, hmm, is this a problem with Michael? Nope. Is this a problem with anybody else in the room? Nope. Problems with me. The problem is where I'm falling short. And it became very, very quick for me to see how can I sit here and ask this group to pray for whatever I'd asked him to pray for. And I know they're going to do it, and that's, that's great. But how can I ask that when I haven't even prayed for it myself? How can I ask them to do something when I hadn't even gone to the Word and searched it out and laid on, the, on my face and read the Word myself? I mean, how blatantly hypocritical is that? 
It's all that I could think of. Those were not things Michael said. Those were things that came to my mind as we were having this discussion. Are you engaged in community and in discipleship with other believers? Because here's the, here's the reality. If, if I'm honest with you, I know I'm not the only one in this room that does this. If I'm honest with you, um, I didn't really want to go to Connect Group Wednesday night. That's what night we meet on. And it's not because I don't like the people in the group. Love them. Um, I love our leaders. It, it's always a refreshing, good time. It had nothing to do with that. I didn't want to go because I was tired. I had a billion things to do. I was backed up with some stuff at work. I, I just, it just, I didn't want to mess with it, honestly. And I'm, and I'm thankful, I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit orchestrated it for me to be there. Because think for just a second, if I had not been there, I would have missed the conviction and the challenge that the Holy Spirit designed for me. Now, I can't speak for everybody else in that room, but I can speak for me. And I know that was designed for me. And that's why I say that sometimes showing up, just showing up is half the battle. Showing up to connect group, showing up to church, showing up to women's Bible study, showing up to this past weekend's women's conference, just showing up is stinking half the battle. Because if you get there, then God's going to work. And I realize that you can sit through a church service and you can sit through your connect group and you can sit through your Bible study and you never can grow. I know people that do that all the time. But what I'm saying is if you're there, at least you got a chance. At least you have a chance for the Holy Spirit to speak. And I'm so glad that I didn't do what I was really close to doing and sending Mike a quick text, hey, man, I'm not going to make it tonight. Got too much going on. That, I was pretty close to doing that. If I didn't show up, I don't get that challenge. I don't get that conviction. And what better way to close than the last verse, verse 14. Look at what verse 14 says. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, I'm not going to unpack this all this week. I'm going to unpack it more next week. This this verse is deep, and I, I want to spend some time with it. But I want to close with this verse because it's about the assurance we have in the Holy Spirit, and because of the Holy Spirit, and then we'll, the next verse, we'll, we'll talk about that when we get into it next week, that we have been adopted as sons. It's absolutely huge that you hear me this morning that the importance of the adoption by God through the Spirit of God is so crucial to our salvation and to our assurance. Our assurance and our security in Christ is not based on our obedience. It's not based on our response. It is based on God's mercy and His grace and His love to lead us to, to convict us, to challenge us, to encourage us. That's what happened to me Wednesday night. That wasn't because I responded well. It wasn't because I'd had this great week in the Word. It wasn't because I had spent so many hours praying. No, God said, you know what, Dad? I'm going to give you grace. And I'm going to give you mercy. And I'm going to let you go to this group, and I'm going to let you be convicted. I'm going to let you be challenged. It's not because of you, trust me, because you've done nothing right this week. But let me just give you some of my grace to love and to lead you. And I can't wait to unpack this more next week. We look more at the security we have in Christ. But I thought in light of that verse and, and for, for time, I want to just close with this, this quick story. And then the band's going to come and, and, and sing, close us out. This story is told by Craig Barnes. He's an author and pastor out of the Washington, D.C. area. It's a really short story, but let's just listen to this. He said, when I was a child, my, my dad, who was a pastor, brought home a 12-year-old boy named Roger whose parents had died from drug overdose. 
There was no one to care for Roger, and so my parents decided they'd just raise him as if he were one of their own sons. And at first, it was pretty difficult for Roger to adjust to his new home, an environment that was free of heroin-addicted adults. And every day, several times a day, I would hear my parents saying to Roger things like this. Roger, no, no, that's, that's not how we behave in this family. Roger, no, no, you don't have to scream or fight or hurt, or hurt other people to get what you want. Roger, no, we, we, we expect you to show respect in this family. And over time, Roger began to change. Now, Roger, did, did he have to? This is what the, the, the author said. Did Roger have to make those changes in order to become a part of our family? No. He was made a part of the family simply by the grace of my dad. But did he then have to do a lot of hard work because he was in the family? You bet he did. It was tough for him to change, and he had to work on it over a long period of time. But he was motivated by gratitude for the incredible love that he had received. And then he poses the question, do you and I have a lot of hard work to do now that the Spirit has adopted you into God's family? Certainly. But we don't do that work in order to become a son or a daughter of the Heavenly Father. No, we make those changes because you are already a son or a daughter. And every time you start to revert back to the old addictions to sin and the old ways of life that you're used to in the previous time, the Holy Spirit will gently and kindly say to you, No, no, that's not how we act in this family. What a perfect example of the security we have of being adopted in the family of God. I mean, thank the Lord Jesus that our place in his family is not based on our obedience. And this story is an example of what these verses in Romans 8 is all about. And that is fighting sin through uh, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So if I leave you with anything, I leave you with these, the three things I've already mentioned, put in question form, and I would want you to wrestle with these three things today. Wrestle with them when you leave. Wrestle with them tonight. Wrestle with them in the morning. Just you, you have to be open and honest before the Lord. These are the same two questions that were asked to my connect group this week. And the third one has to be with, are you even in an opportunity to where somebody could ask you those questions? And it doesn't have to be a connect group. It could be one-on-one meetings or Bible study or whatever. But you need to be engaged with, with a community where discipleship can occur. And so I'd leave you with those three questions. I've already mentioned them enough. I don't have to read them again. But practically speaking, going back to the way I said I get frustrated because I don't know how, here's how. Deal with these questions. Maybe you just deal with one this week. I don't know. Maybe you deal with all of them. For me, I've got got to start pretty small, deal with just one at a time. But there's three practical ways that we can fight sin through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for your word. Uh, As we close this service, Lord, I would just ask that, Lord, you would... uh, Let us wrestle with these things this week. Uh, Let us be still before you and really seriously ask these questions this week. I thank you for a a connect group leader that was willing to um, get up in my business and in in the business of, of people that he loved so much to be willing to ask some hard questions. And people he loved so much that it didn't matter if he made them uncomfortable for a few minutes because their spiritual lives were at stake.
their spiritual health was at stake. And Lord, I pray that Michael would not be the only one asking those questions, that we would be able to ask those questions of each other, but we'd have to have relationships first before we can go up, hey, how's your prayer time? We have to establish relationships. Whether whether that's in a connect group, that's great. Whether it's in a Bible study or or over morning breakfast, it doesn't really matter how you do it. It just matters that we have consistent community and discipleship occurring in our lives. And and Lord, if that's not occurring, nobody's going to ask us those questions. And if I'm not showing up, I don't hear those questions asked. And I already wonder, Lord, in my life, how much I've already missed because I didn't show up or because I wasn't willing to ask a question because I wasn't willing to answer a question. I don't know. I'm just filled with a lot of of questions, a lot of conviction. Lord, you ask us to, in Romans 8, to fight and wage war on sin through the power and the presence of your Spirit. And how do we do that? By being in your word, by spending time in prayer, and by being engaged in community and discipleship. Not just, not just fun and games and, and relationship. Yes, that's important. But engagement in discipleship. Engagement in growing. How you doing in your walk? How's your prayer time going? we need you more than ever and I'm drawn back to the quote that I read earlier this morning that Lord if we would just put our sails up and let the wind of the Holy Spirit guide us we don't have to do the work we just gotta put our sails up and and, and the, the power of the Spirit is so so strong and it's so so sweet in this place and specifically in this chapter of the Bible. And I pray we don't miss that. I don't ever want to leave. I don't ever want to get done with chapter 8 because it's, it's so powerful. It's so sweet. Lord, I know you'd have us to move on, but I pray that we would go and, and, and live and move and, and breathe in the power and in the presence of your Spirit. And I just ask that you'd help us to wrestle well this week with these questions with you. Jesus' name we pray.